Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast that's all in the name. Good coffee with great conversation. Here's your host, Larry Vincent. Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. My name is Larry Vincent, and I am just glad uh, that you are joining us again in our uh, fourth season or third season, whichever season it is. Uh, I am glad that you are here, and with me today is a good friend of mine uh, and the executive director of Community Transformation Partners, Tim Moser. Welcome, Tim. Good afternoon. Hey, glad that you are here. Now, Tim, part of our tradition here at Coffee and Conversation is called the first sip. Now, uh, what the audience doesn't know is that we just got done with a marathon of a board meeting, right? So we have taken multiple sips by this point, uh, but I think it would it would behoove us to keep the tradition going and doing the first sip of the podcast, all right? So as it turns out, another tradition is that whenever I have a guest on here, they don't ever have coffee with them, and, and you are keeping that tradition alive. Uh, you are drinking what today? Unsweet iced tea. Unsweet iced tea from an uh, establishment that doesn't pay for sponsorship, so I'm not going to mention their names. <laughs> but seriously, McAllister's, if you want to pay for sponsorship, I will take it. All right. Uh, so, uh, so you're doing the iced tea from uh, from uh, unnamed sponsorship. I, however, am drinking uh, some night ops from Hoosier Warrior Coffee, who is a uh, a, a donor, uh, if you will, of my ministry, and provides free coffee for community transformation partners. Nice. Uh, so we are really excited about that, uh, and. So that's the coffee I'm drinking right here, French press as always. So Tim, pick up the cup. First sip, my friend. Cheers. Ah, that's so good. All right, all right. Well, let's go ahead and begin our conversation. I want to learn. Want to learn a little bit more about you. For some reason, that's not. Nah, we're fine. All right. Want to learn just a little bit more about who you are. So, uh, if you can give me uh, in a short way your testimony, how you grew up in the church, what your, how you came to Christ, when your, your faith become real to you. I think that would be uh, awesome for our, our audience to hear. Oh, you bet. Uh, I grew up in a small town in northern Indiana. Okay. I uh, went from kindergarten to 12th grade in the same building. Wow. Um, the number of people in my town was less than the Brownsburg freshman current class. So... Uh, <laughs> um, Went to a, uh, um, a, a small church in that town, okay. and I grew up in that church um, from the time I was born to the time I graduated high school okay. with the same pastor. Oh, wow. So, uh, um, super stable as far as that goes, no changes. Um, but, uh, you know, we had, uh, while the adults often would go to church, the kids would have uh, Sunday school. And uh, depending on what grade you were, you either sat in the front row on the little chairs, or by the time you got to sixth grade, you got to sit in the big chairs in the back. Seventh grade on, uh, went to service. So, uh, you know, really my journey started um, early, early on in that church, uh, just through Sunday school, learning the songs, learning the basic stories. Um, So I would say, you know, early on, I had some foundational things. Um, however, as many things go, you know, until you make it your own, it's just information. Right. And um, so I would, 
would say I did not have any large life-changing experiences that led me to Christ. I just had small. Uh, I was active in the church uh, as long as I can remember. Um, headed up the youth group for uh, uh, three or four years, and we did a lot of uh, charity work. Um, that was probably one stretch of growth. Another stretch of growth um, went backpacking in the Smoky Mountains with um, um, United Church of Christ uh, all across Indiana. Oh wow! And uh, you know, through those week-long experiences. You know, got to see the hands and feet of Christ in action versus, you know, sitting there as a passive recipient. Um, went to college, tried to stay connected to church, um, both at uh, Purdue and uh, I worked uh, in New Jersey for a um, Fortune 5 company. Um, and you know, it was interesting there in uh, on the East Coast, not many people went to church. So we went to this, I went to this big Methodist church there and uh, huge, you know, could seat 750 people easy. Wow. And average church attendance might have been 10 or 15 people. Really? And uh, Wow. And at Purdue, you know, went to a campus of 35,000, uh, went to a church called University Church. And typically, you know, our Sunday morning experiences were 30. Okay. So, you know, it was sort of ironic to me. Um, there was more people growing up in the church of a town of 700 than there was a community of 30,000 or a community in New Jersey of, you know, millions of, of people. Why do you think that is, out of curiosity? Um, I think perhaps many people had the same experiences that they had not yet made um, Christianity their own. Yeah. And so, um, because they haven't made it their own, they went to church because their parents told them to go to church. And now you get to a campus and um, you're left with other choices that people often make. Yeah, but I also find, though, in a community like ours, uh, which, you know, small rural Indiana, which we're not exactly a small country town, right? Uh, but I find that in our experiences, almost the same thing is happening now amongst 20, 30, 40 year olds. Um, that, uh, and and the, um, the research is kind of backing this up that people who grew up in the church, uh, which is a large majority of people in our state, grew up in the church, are not continuing church um, for those same reasons. And so they're actually now repeating. Uh, the, the the experiences of bigger towns mm. in small in, in small areas. Mm. Do you mm. think that do you, do you do you see that in today's world? No, I do. I think that's a great point, and um, I keep on reminding myself of the scripture. You know, train a child the way they should go, and when they get old, they will not depart from it. And for me, you know, when I was going through you know that time, I had to make the decision: is this what I wanted, or what I was going to do with everybody else? But um, you're right, I've seen a lot of, actually starting in later middle school, uh, kids start dropping out. Yeah. And, um, and then high school, then college, it goes way down. Um, but at some point in time, a lot of those people are boomeranging back in their upper 20s, 30s, as they finally decide, you know, hey, what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of family do I want to bring? 
Um, but I think, you know, as a percentage, we're losing more than we're gaining, and that's, yeah. that's concerning. Exactly right. And, and as a matter of fact, what, we're, what, what we have to be sure, because we are repeating the stats of larger cities. Uh, it just takes us about 20 years to get there. Um, and so what we need to watch out for is that less and less people are boomeranging back. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, the rise of the religious uh, non-affiliates or religious nuns, as they're called, right, is growing within, say, my age group um, and younger. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's something that the church is, ha- has to look at. But we're here to talk about recovery. And, and I think there are some parallels between the recovery world and the church world, especially, obviously, for someone like CTP, um, you know, and for our first-time listeners, CTP is Community Transformation Partners, the organization to which I work, and Tim is the executive director of, um, you know, that we have to be, uh, that we have to be careful of, or at least look out for, because, uh, you know, programs like ours uh, have to uh, worry about how are we going to instill faith in a generation of people who are increasingly growing uh, distant from the church, right? Um, so from your perspective, how does uh, a Christian, you know, or even a Christian organization, depending on how you want to take the answer, how does a Christian, uh, you know, help somebody in recovery get that faith instilled in their lives? What does it take? You know, I, I think for me, the formula is easy. Maybe the execution of the formula is more difficult. But, you know, it goes back to, you know, God's commandment, Jesus' commandment. Love the Lord first. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think sometimes we get the cart before the horse. Um, let's say I was wanting to minister to you and tell you about Christ. Yeah. You know, sometimes the cart before the horse is me browbeating you with scripture yes. instead of me forming a relationship with you, learning how to love you for who you are with all your faults, with all your baggage, with all the greatness that you also are. And then once we have that relationship and then be able to show by actions what God's hands and feet look like. So, okay. So let me push back just a little bit there uh, because uh, some people will hear this and they'll hear what you say and they'll say, see, this is why I don't bring up faith at all um, when I first meet somebody. You know, and, and uh, is there a balance between showing your faith, speaking your faith, uh, and yet not shoving it down their throats? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So what does that look like then? Well, you know, I think it can be simple acts. So for instance, when we go out to dinner together, you're maybe not uh, um, far along your walk yet, and you don't pray before dinner. Maybe maybe that's something I chose to do. And so for me, I just quietly bow my head, and I pray, and then I eat You know, with you. Um, you're a smart guy. You're going to observe my actions that way. So you're going to know, you know, hey, this is, this is a man that, you know, prays before he eats. Huh. And then we go on, we have a conversation. But I think you can interject faith in small ways. You know, you know, hey, I've really been praying about this job here lately. But, you know, I know I shouldn't put my faith in a job. Yeah. And so, you know, you have a chance to interject things um, versus 
preach and browbeat. Yeah. So I think you you make a valid a great point. We our job as individual Christians helping out others is to work on our faith to the point to where we are um, you know infused with Christ in every aspect of our life so that it naturally just Amen. comes out like that Amen. verse in John right John fourteen. That says, uh, if you love me, you obey my commands, right? The natural response out of loving Christ is obedience to Christ. And, uh, and, and a person will know that we are Christians by how we interact with them just naturally. Yep, it's part of my natural conversation. Exactly. Right. You know, so if I come to you with a plan, with a, uh, uh, with a formula to get you to Christ, that's not going to work. I have to be able to show you. Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, And you want to be able to trust me too, right? Yeah. You know, if I listen to every single person who gives me advice in my life, you know, at some point in time I have to distill who am I going to start listening and trusting and who am I going to put on the back burner because I don't know if they're giving me good advice or not. Yeah. And so, you know, part of that relationship building is is to learn, you know, hey, is this person credible? Can I trust this person with what they're going to tell me or what advice they're going to give me. Are you teaching that to those that you mentor through the recovery, uh, through the recovery programs? Um, I'm teaching it indirectly. Okay. So uh, the first thing that uh, that we do is we play a question game. So uh, the first quote date that we have as a mentor and mentee, we'll go out to dinner and we play the question game, and uh, which focuses really on a relationship. So I ask them a question about their life. They ask me a question, mm. and uh, it can be as simple as "What's your favorite color?" or as difficult as you know, "When was the last time you cried?" and and why? Oh wow! On, and, the, first, uh, on the first one. So uh, we start. We usually start simple, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but uh, yeah, I usually throw a zinger in there or two and just see where they're at. Hey, what is uh, what is the most uh, uh, you know? Deep dark secret you've ever. <laughs> yeah, all right, we, I don't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Man, this stuff got serious. Uh, uh, okay, so so you you ask those questions uh, as a way to you know to help them get gain trust, right? Uh, but how do you so how do you teach them? By the time they graduated or the time they're all, they start becoming on their own, how do you teach them to be able to discern all those different voices that are coming at them uh, once they get back into a regular life? Yeah, I, I really don't teach that. I rely on the Holy Spirit to teach, to teach that to them. But, you know, we have these conversations of, you know, you, you come into a house with, um, you know, for instance, at Trinity – is you know where I, I uh, have been mentoring a lot of folks, and you come off the streets, you come out of prison, um, you're fresh. Maybe you're just still recovering as you walk in, and you have the questions of you know who do I trust and who can I trust out of my brothers here, and and who do I keep to myself? And um, you know I don't know if I have any good advice on that except for I just take it slow and I let the Holy Spirit you know talk to me, um, and time will discern who you can trust and who you can't just like us in life it's really no different when you right. go to a new job you know you don't say you know hi my name is tim and you know i want to tell you about my biggest failure you know the, the, the time that i was hurt the most in my entire life right 
you you ferret out over time sure. who those people are that you can trust, and yeah. you know. So that's that's sort of my approach of giving advice on that as mentoring as well. It's really really not not too different. Well, yeah, and, and you, you you mentioned something awesome that I don't want to that I don't want to just skip over. The fact that part of this is is learning for them to learn what the voice of God sounds like. Uh, you know, that's, I think that's probably the top question I get asked from a person in recovery who's trying to find their faith. Um, you know, uh, what does what does God sound like? How do I know He's speaking to me? Because I Amen. hear all these voices in my head, Amen. you know, t- pulling me different ways. How do I know? And so part of part of the training that I give that I give people as a pastor is you know how to compare what you're being told to the Scripture because that's the surefire way of knowing uh, you know if something is from God or not because he'll never he'll never go against his own word Amen. right um, and Paul talks about that in, in Corinthians um, and so uh, there that is kind of like this important piece of it because if I can learn what God sounds like in my life then I can learn the imitators of God right uh, in a good way uh, as they speak into my life right mm. uh, and that's something that takes a long time. Um, for an addict to learn. Yeah, right? it, t- it takes a long time for anybody to yeah. learn sometimes. You sure. know, I want a new job. Does God want me to have this new job or not? Yeah. The Bible's not clear on, you know, I, sh- I should take up this position. What should I do? And, um, you know, it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard thing for many folks to do. It's a hard thing for me to do sometimes. And, you know, I think your advice is good, though. Number one, stay in the Word. And number two, pray about it. You know, God, is this direction from you? And if you give it some time, he'll usually reveal himself if you stay in the word and right. and pray about it. Not always, but uh, those things usually help. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes, you know, the, the uh, my my philosophy is until I hear from God, I don't I don't move. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and because the silence is a weight. Amen. You know, um, because I, I believe that he will speak to us when it's time. Amen. Right? It's just his time, not ours. Uh, and if that means I miss an opportunity, I miss an opportunity. Uh, and that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of big. Uh, you know, you, you talk about this idea in recovery about trust. And, you know, people who have gone through addiction, it's not just people who go through addiction, but this is true of people who go through addiction. They've been burned by so many people. You know, they have trusted a ton of people, and uh, those people have have just taken advantage of them, uh, of their good nature, uh, of their of their sense of loyalty, and just stabbed them in the back. And so, a lot of the guys that you know you've probably ministered to and mentored um, have been timid about trusting another individual. How have you been able? Um, as a mentor, as a person in the recovery ministry, how have you been able to to break through that wall? You know, that's a great point. And, you know, one thing um, you have to understand about addiction is when you're in the middle of addiction, you're usually with friends who are in the middle of their addiction. Right. And when one is in the middle of their addiction, all they care about is themselves. Mm. And so the only reason I'm friends with you in the middle of my addiction is because I can get something that I want from you. So you are used to this relationship atmosphere where everybody's using each other. 
And in many cases, none of these guys have had a true friend their entire life. They've never had anybody who cares for their goodwill, their good being, with no strings attached. They didn't want something in return. They just wanted what was best for them. Um, I would say huge majority, maybe 90% are in that category. So the first thing is just starting baby steps about what trust looks like. You know, if I say I'm going to be there at 7 o'clock, I'm there at 7 o'clock. If I said I'm going to call, I'm going to call. If I said I was going to follow up, I'm going to follow up. And letting them learn what trust looks like. And it's funny because usually after a month or two, all the guys will come up to me and say, you know, why are you doing this? You know, what's your catch? And uh, and I'm like, you know, well, my catch is I'm doing this because guess what? That's what God told me to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. he told me to love you and uh, like I'm loving myself. And, you know, when they come to this realization that, you know, a relationship can be about being selfless, it can be about giving more than receiving. Um, it's sort of fun to watch how that evolves. And you have sometimes the best friends that develop out of this relationship because you were the first one to trust them. You were the first one to show them what a true friend was like. And um, that has been very, very rewarding for me. Um, just have made some phenomenal friendships still to this day. Um with so many people. And uh, so I, I would just say, you know, what's the old adage? If you want a friend, good friend, you have to be a good friend. Mm. So I show them, I try to show them what a good friend looks like. And what a good friend is for trustworthy. And I work very, very hard to never break my word. Okay. All right. So, it, you know, as a, as a former addict, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, listen to these words that you're, you're saying through the ears of an addict again, right? And and there was one thing that you said that that you know that kind of stuck with me um, that I would love some clarification on and, and maybe some pushback. You said uh, you know most of these guys, ninety percent of these guys, don't have you know have not had a real friend in their entire lives, and I I I hear that I I know what you're saying, but I, I like a part of me says well, I I had real friends in the midst of my addiction. I had people that weren't just in it to uh, get something from me because I didn't have anything, right? Um, you know, we just we were just people with hurt and pain that that uh, didn't want to be alone, and we felt that we were you know like minded enough to be friends to be friends with, uh, you know, and and so so how do you respond to that? If somebody if somebody came to you and says, "But I have real friends," or uh, you know, uh, I had, uh, you know, a, a community, you know, that, that supported each other and of course supported each other's habits. What, how do you respond? What, what, what advice do you give to that person? What? I, I don't give any advice. I just say, you know, uh, we, we talk about what are the characteristics of a friend, yeah. of a good friend. Yeah. And we go through what those look like and what those are. And, you know, they'll often in the beginning say, oh, it's somebody who's got my back. Yeah. It's somebody who's loyal to me. Yeah. Right? Great. When you're in the middle of your addiction, check, check. People will do that. It's somebody who wants the best of me. Um, it's somebody who um, 
will hold me accountable when I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. How many times has that happened out of your, out of those friendships? And um, I haven't met many, if any, that have said that. But, you know, the way I usually address that, Larry, is I ask them, you know, what are the characteristics of a good friend? And then I just ask them, you know, out of their own definition, how many good friends have they had? And sometimes they might start off like you, hey, I have good friends. But um, most of the time, 90% of the time, they end up with their own analysis and they understand they can't come back to their own communities right. because they had toxic friendships. Yes. They had toxic relationships. Um, they need to start over. Um, and um, that's the majority of the folks find that out. Now, it also depends on when you begin with your addiction. Yeah. Um, for those who, pe- some people, you know, had a wonderful marriage mm-hmm. and at 25 years old, they found addiction. Yeah. They had a healthy relationship up till then mm-hmm. and then, you know, ruined that relationship. And so in those cases, there are some exceptions that, you know, people can go back to the old relationships once they become a new person, but, but not, not too many. Yeah, no, I think, I think you, um, you're right on. I agree with everything that, that you said, because this is really, uh, you know, a parallel question, um, you know, that, I, that has been asked of me before is, what's the difference between, uh, like, say, a humanitarian and a Christian? And, and the answer is, well, there's a lot of similarities, but uh, it's more than just that, right? And so that kind of comes into the friend area. You know, you can have friends. You have people who are loyal and who are loving and who are supportive, but only to a certain degree because their addiction holds them back, right? right? Um, and so it, it, Christian, what Christianity offers, what a, what a faithful relationship offers, is more than a, a, a normal friendship that they're used to. Um, you know, it is more selfless. It's more humble. It's accountability. Right, those kind of things, and I and I and I think that's really what you're hitting at is that it's friends plus, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you uh, you have been with uh, in the recovery ministry for for how long? How many years has it been for you? Uh, four years. Yep. Four years. Okay. Uh, what what is the the biggest lesson learned for you uh, on ministering to those? who are going through addiction? Oh, I don't know if I could say one, um, because every day I learn a new lesson. Um, you know, it's funny because i you know, been mentoring for three and a half of the last four years. And many days I found out that I'm the one who's being mentored um, mm. instead of being the mentor. Um, in sort of funny how God reveals things to you or teaches you lessons some sometimes um, and sometimes he puts people in your life to show you something that you need to hear or need to see at that that point in time but uh, you know I guess um, you know a couple of things uh, number one you know relationships are critical in this whole trust that we talked about and, you know, I won't have a chance of getting somebody to listen to me about Christ, about, you know, 
where their heart is if we don't have a relationship. If if I come across as judging them, mm. and um, you know, I always have a lot of fun with this. You know, some people say, "Oh, you're, you know, you're in the addiction ministry. That must be hard." And I say, "Oh, you have friends who are sinners. That must be hard too." <laughs> so, you know, it's yep. uh, it's that's fun. But uh, you know, one, it's about relationships. I think you know the second as as those. Um, who are parents or have loved ones um, of addicts, it's, you know, another thing that you and I have talked about. I will do anything for you, but I will not enable you. Yes. And, you know, what the definition of enabling somebody is and, um, you know, that is that is easier said than done because are you enabling somebody right now and getting them help? Are you helping them? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's another one that, uh, that I've learned. Um, and I think, you know, the other piece of advice I would have is, you know, be all in. Mm. You, you get what you invest. Yes. And if you invest little, you'll get little out of it. And if you invest a lot, yes, you can get hurt a lot, just like any other relationship. But, you know, God didn't tell us, you know... To love people a lot, um, to love the people as much as you know you do your new puppy dog, you know he said to love people as much as yourself. Yes. So you know, there's no holding back. It's you're all in, and um, and I I have found when I'm not all in, neither are they. So you, you bring up really two, I think, great points for people in ministry who are Christian who want to help. Uh, and I would love for you to expound upon them, okay? Uh, and both of them are pretty much connected. Uh, the first one uh, is, is uh, you know, not enabling, right? Uh, and the second one is be all in. And <clears throat> what, I, what I have found in, in, my, uh, in my experience with people ministering to people in recovery um, is that uh, they are they, they dive all in head first and they do anything and everything for this person to the point of enabling okay um, because they don't they don't understand boundaries and and then they get burned and then they never do it again amen uh, and, and I can't tell you how many times I have talked to volunteers who said well I tried it in the past but yeah. Uh, it didn't work. I'm never going to do it again. What do you say to those to those people? How can you make sure that a person who's in this type of ministry doesn't enable and also doesn't uh, doesn't close the door because of something bad happening? You know, uh, I'll, I'll share a story. Um, when I start, first started uh, being the mentor. Uh, Trinity has a 12 month program, and so you mentor the guys for 12 months. And the first guy that uh, I mentored um, left the program after three months. Oh, man, it broke my heart. I, yeah. was, I was more that person who was all in. And, uh, you know, oh, man, I, I failed this person. And I'm like, okay, well, God says not to give up. Yeah. So went, um, and they assigned me an, another one. My second person left after three months. Oh, wow. My third person left after three months. My fourth person left after three months. So, oh, so I How went. How did you not get a complex? I did. I have a huge <laughs> complex. 
So I went to, I went to uh, the program coordinator. I says, listen, I don't know if, you know, I'm the right person for this because, you know, look at my track record. And he goes, well, you know, why don't you give it a month and pray about it and just see where you're at. And God just kept on telling me, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And so the fifth person that, uh, that I was introduced to about after about a month, you know, I'm like, all right, God, do I hold back on this one? Because it really hurts. It hurts really bad when somebody left. And uh, he's like, no, there's only one way that you know how to do this. And so uh, went all in, and this person had more problems than all of the other four wrapped <laughs> up. But it was sort of funny. Each of those experiences that I had with those other four prepared me for this fifth one. Yes. And showed me things about court, showed me things about uh, conflict resolution and and kids that, you know, by other women and allowed me to minister to that person in ways that I would not have been able to in the beginning. Mm. And so he went through the whole program, graduated, we are still super close friends today. And, um, you know, it's just a lesson that I've been taught so many times through this adventure of not giving up that, um, you know, the enemy wants me to give up. Right. The enemy wants to convince me that it's, it's useless. Right. Um, but, you know, I just decided I'm not giving up. And, you know, to those folks... I think you mentioned a key word, boundaries. Yeah. Um, and just keep on remembering that if, if, if you are involved in this ministry, you know, I'll do anything for you, but I will not enable you. So what are the boundaries? For me, you know, I don't buy tobacco products. Sorry. You know what? That's just a rule I got. And uh, um, there you go. You know, I don't go clothes shopping with the guys or for the guys. They have a different way of getting clothes. So, you know, we have boundaries I don't loan them money um, because I feel all those things are enabling. But we do eat out quite a bit <laughs> until God tells me that's enabling. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm glad, I'm glad you do, and I'm sure they appreciate it too. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, – I mean, it, yes, realizing what your boundaries are because I think they're different for every person. You know, um, I, as long as – that per, if you were to if you were if you were to step down and, and you know leave because of something you know let's say you had to move to a different state that person would still be okay that's you know if, if you can't say that you don't have good boundaries hmm. right um, you know you have to be replaceable but still crucial right um, that's that's where I kind of define what my role as a mentor is hmm. you know. Um, I will be there and I will, I will give the advice and I will love on them and I will, you know, uh, share with them my thoughts and, you know, whatever. But if I were to leave and say somebody else were to step in, they could build that same relationship. And if I can make that better for them, then I feel like I've done my job. Amen. Amen. Um, so, I mean, I guess what I would say to those volunteers who had bad experiences, don't give up. Yes. You know. God can use all of that for something good. Yes. And um, it's easy to give up. Give up. It's easy to be frustrated. Um, but many times if we hang in there, 
there was a blessing that we would have never seen coming. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, to quote the theologian, uh, the big theolo- uh, theological Broadway musical Hamilton, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, dying is hard, son. Living, or dying is easy, son. Living is harder. Amen. Right? Uh, and quitting is easy. Yeah. Uh, but keeping it, keep going and keeping at, you know, keeping on keeping on is a lot harder to do. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth it. Amen. Uh, you know, um, and that's, I think that's a good lesson for Christians in everything. Uh, you know, we, we, we often quit things when they get hard. And that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is to stick with it despite it being hard. Amen. Uh, because that's where God tests us and stretches us and challenges us. You know, and especially if we're asking addicts uh, to go through the difficult journey of recovery. Right. Uh, we better be willing to give up, to put ourselves into this and do the difficult journey of helping them. Right, uh, because it's a difficult journey. Amen. Uh, and I know that you know you, you and I are, are prepping ourselves for this residential program that starts uh, at the time of this recording in less than a month, uh, and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, it's going to be hard. We're going to disappoint the residents, and the residents will disappoint us, and we'll have conflict amongst you know just normal conflict that that happens when you live life together, and you know we're committed. To not giving up. Amen. And, and, and we know the residents aren't going to give up and, and we'll make it work, right? Because that's what you have to do when you're family. You make it work. Right? Amen. Um, so, you know, let, let's, let's transition in our, last, uh, in our last section here of hopes for uh, CTP specifically. Um, why, why did you become the executive director you know, I know that was a position. One, you know, I know it's a position that you uh, that you were offered and volunteered for, and things like that. But what was it about that about this program that made you say, "Yeah, I'll do this"? Um, you know, uh, really, you have to go back a little bit of how I became involved at at, at Trinity, and I, I had retired and uh, got a good advice from friends to wait a year before I jump into any volunteering thing and just yeah. let life sort itself out and be careful that I don't wake up one day that I'm volunteering for 50 things that I don't like. <laughs> and so I waited that year. And, um, so, you know, woke up exactly here. I said, okay, God been a year now I'm ready. You know, where is it? And, um, you know, God always has a good sense of humor and, uh, he puts things in his time, but, um, it wasn't until about another three to four months after that, that I was actually at a funeral of uh, one of our uh, elders who had passed away. And um, Phil was there telling me about his ministry and how they needed help. And Phil's the executive director of Trinity, just so our right. audience understands. Yep, yep. And so he invited me over and I you know, fell in love with the ministry and uh, so was helping these guys and all in and, and enjoying that. And, um, you know, when CTP was in its infancy and just being... Uh, born, I I uh, I knew Tom, um, not well, but I knew him, and um, he really wanted to make a, a difference for Hendricks County, and um, you know I probably said no to his request to help out with CTP probably 
three or four times over a three to four month period. But, you know, talk about somebody who never gave up. He never gave up. Our chairman is definitely uh, very persistent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he would just call me up and check in on it and, you know, see how God is working in yeah. my life. And uh, I know, I think finally one day um, I decided that, you know, he was serious and this was real. And uh, so I stepped up starting to help um, but we really didn't know our way. We didn't know what God was calling us to do in Hendricks County. And we had, you know, a lot of discussion, a lot of false starts, a lot of, you know, hey, maybe he's taking us this path. And we got down, you know, three quarters down this path and found out this this was not a fit. And, you know, finally, it was through our collective experiences as a team where we settled into where we're at today and it you know, it feels really good of you know being able to help folks after they've graduated from a faith-based program to be successful and help out that transition into life. Yeah, because this is really the the crux of why CTP exists because there is a 90 plus percent rate of recidivism um, or relapse and we want that to go down to zero. Amen. Right? Uh, Dave Faust, who is a friend of mine and uh, former president at CCU and uh, uh, ministers at Connection Point from time to time, uh, he actually came up with this term called idealism, uh, which uh, I you know, absolutely love. I'm, I, I finally have a word to go with the statement I've been thinking for years, uh, and, and that's really where we're at. We, you know, we, we strive for 0% relapse rate. Uh, but we have the wisdom to understand that that may not be reality, but we still strive for it anyway, right? Uh, and and that's that's why CTP exists, and that's that's our heart, right? Amen. Yeah. So uh, so what is your uh, what is your hope then? Um, you know, as these guys go through our program, and I know we just talked about the zero percent relapse, which is obviously a huge goal of ours. But what other goals are there for these guys that you like? that you hope happens when they graduate? You know, first and foremost, they all have a foundational faith. Yeah. And my first hope would be that I could go a couple more steps down this journey with each of them and uh, that their faith will grow, my faith will grow, and and we can do this part of life together. Um, that would be my first request. Uh, my second um, hope is that each of the guys who graduate, or uh, um, not graduate, they've already graduated, the guys who, uh, by the time they leave CTP, they all have their driver's licenses, all have a vehicle, all have um, uh, ideally a house to go to, that yeah. they're, you know, they've repaired um, the wounds in their lives that um, have taken away opportunities and repaired them such that they can be fully successful. And um, successful financially for me is a car and a house. Yeah. And uh, I'm not talking about a huge mansion, but it's something that they can call their own. Yeah. And um, so that would be the second thing. The third thing is what I, whatever I can do to foster healthy relationships. And, yes. you know, Larry, you and I have talked. Show me your closest five friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, to foster healthy relationships. Um, with folks who are going to look for the best in them. So I know when they leave CTP, they, their heart is in a great spot with God. 
the heart is in a great spot with other relationships and um, they've taken care of the baggage list of their lives such that they can be successful, you know, on the financial world. So, you know, the temptation to relapse now is minimized, not zero, yeah, but certainly reduced to a dramatic level. So explain to uh, our audience, for those who don't know, in an elevator pitch, uh, what a baggage list is and what it aims to do. Okay. So uh, the volunteer ministry that we have at Trinity, um, we put four categories in for a baggage list. So a baggage list is the baggage that I'm walking into Trinity with that are outside problems of my life that may prevent me from being successful. So the four categories are medical, financial, uh, identification, and legal. So for instance, medical, uh, a lot of the guys have hepatitis C. So, you know, that could kill you. It could uh, um, take your liver out. It's very easy fix. So we work to get the medical insurance, get all of their medical problems addressed. Financially, uh, we try to take care of their, uh, have them take care of their debts or file bankruptcy. Uh, if that is not possible. Um, legal, we walk be, besides them uh, with any open legal cases that they have um, and make sure that those are resolved to whatever extent possible before they graduate. Um, and then fourthly, identification. And this is one that crept up on us. You know, you can't get a job if you don't have a social security card and or, you know, some type of state ID. Mm. Um, birth certificates, you know, uh, so we get, it is not uncommon for people to walk in with no social security card, no identification of any mm. kind, no birth certificate. And then, therefore, when it's time to get a job, you're spending six months trying to get identification and you just lost that opportunity to, you know, be, be in a better position financially. Right. And that just causes all the kinds more stress now. Of you know what am I going to do when I leave because I'm not going to have any money to get an apartment. I don't I have a job, and um, so those are the four categories that we work on. Okay, and through uh, and through CTP, by the time they leave our program, uh, the goal is to have that baggage list completely filled out and completed, uh, which I think is a doable goal. I mean, especially because they've been working on it for at least a year prior to coming to us, depending on the rehab program, like Trinity, that they come from, right? Uh, and so that's, uh, that, that's I mean, I, this is why I, I love having you uh, on on board with us, uh, because you, you add this element that I don't think of, uh, you know, uh, of the, okay, what does this practically look like? What does graduation practically look like for, uh, for a person who goes, who goes through our program? Uh, and so as we kind of wrap up, uh, Tim, I just have just one final question for you. Um, and, you know, as, as you uh, talk about this program uh, to those outside of the program, to those in your circle of influence, um, what, what, what is the one thing that you always say to these people when you're trying to show them the worth of CTP? Mm, I love that question. Um, you know, most of the time, I don't have to say much because the people who know me, 
Mm. You know, we talk about, well, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, well, I'm volunteering over here. And I'm, you know, I start talking about the guys by their names, right? You know, yeah. so so-and-so is coming over to our house for Thanksgiving. You know, I'm really excited. And, you know, and so the story comes out that way. Um, so then maybe they might ask, well, what is CTP? And uh, I say, hey, you know, we're we're a place for folks who are recovering from addiction who've graduated a faith-based program you know to get their lives together and um but again just like we talked about this this whole conversation um more of it is in my actions yeah. and versus anything else and ironically what usually ends up happening is like what just happened last weekend one of those conversations led to a guy that you know donated a couch here it led to another guy who donated some time led to another guy who donated some food yes and um you know i think that's that feels really good to me so let me let me kind of succinctly try to put this in a statement you tell me if i'm on or if i'm way off right uh so what i hear what i hear you saying when you say these things is that uh what through your actions you show others outside of this program that 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 the people of this program, and really just anybody through addiction, he's going through addiction, that they're valuable, that they're worth loving, and you would, you show that so much that it becomes contagious to where the other person wants to do it as well. Oh, amen. And not, not only that, then I invite them anywhere that I can go. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we go to CrossFit together on Saturdays. We go volunteer together. We go to church together. And, you know... That hopefully they see that I'm all in and these guys are all in and a lot of times you know they want to be part of that too yeah and uh, you're right you you said it way better than I could say it <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm a preacher yeah. <laughs> uh, all right well listen I, I, I am um, excited about where CTP is going to go mm-hmm. in the future and uh, personally, I am ecstatic that you and I are partnering together for this. Amen. Um, you know, this is going to be a really good, really good adventure for the both of us. Amen. Um, so, thank you for being a part of the podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, and thank you, Larry, for uh, inviting me, and uh, very much enjoyed this. So, yeah. so thank you. Yeah. So, um, hopefully, you can be a repeat. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, listen. Uh, thank you all for for tuning in again uh, as well. Uh, we will be back next week for a uh, another episode of Coffee Conversation. In the meantime, uh, I want to remind you that uh, this podcast is sponsored by listeners like you who have donated. Uh, you know, funds to uh, the ministry so that Heather and I, my wife and I, can uh, can help addicts and people who are outcasts uh, who fit who don't fit into a regular church context have a space where they feel welcomed and loved. And if you want to learn more about CTP or you want to learn more about about our ministry or anything like that, you can go to uh, CTP's website, communitytransformationpartners.org. Uh, there you can you can learn about Tim, you can learn about me, you can learn about our board, um, and you learn about our ministry, uh, and you may even find ways to donate or to contact us for more information. All right, guys, uh, we will see you next week. As always, peace, love, and soul.